1960, the National Football League granted an expansion team to the city of Dallas that became the Dallas Cowboys. Now, in 1960, God's favorite team did not exactly come out of the gates with all guns blazing, firing on all cylinders. As a matter of fact, they had a rookie head coach who had just been a defensive coordinator for the New York Giants. But in 1960, Tom Landry was a long, long way from becoming a Hall of Fame coaching icon that he is today. As a matter of fact, in 1960, the Dallas Cowboys narrowly missed a perfect season when they tied one game and lost all 11 others that they played. Now, you and I, with the benefit of 55 years of hindsight, we know, of course, that the Cowboys became the Cowboys and that their, their historical roster is chock full of Hall of Fame players, iconic names like Don Meredith, Bob Lilly, Bob Hayes, Roger Staubach, Drew Pearson, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Randy White, Tony Romo, Jason Witten. The, the list goes on and on and on. It is a long and storied list of names, many of whom are in the Football Hall of Fame. But there's one name that is not nearly as storied or well-known as all of the rest of them, and yet this man is as responsible as anyone else for the rise of the Dallas Cowboys. In 1960, Gil Brandt was a baby photographer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He was taking pictures of babies in Milwaukee, and on the side, he did a little scouting throughout the Midwest for the general manager of the Los Angeles Rams, a guy by the name of Tex Schramm. Well, when Tex Schramm was named the first general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, he hired Gil Brandt as his vice president of player personnel. And Gil Brandt set about building a system of discovering and drafting and developing players that became the pipeline of the Dallas Cowboys. But there's one draft in particular that football historians point to as the turning point in the Cowboys organization. It was 1964, and the Cowboys had struggled through their first three years of existence as a team. But in 1964, Gil Brandt led an effort that brought to the Cowboys roster not one, not two, but three in one draft future Hall of Famers. Mel Renfro, Bullet Bob Hayes, the fastest man in the world, and a guy who still owed the Navy three years of service by the name of Roger Staubach. Gil Brandt became an icon because he knew how to discover and to develop players. As you and I wrap up this series on game plan, I want us to get our minds right and get around the fact that player development is the lifeline of any team. Player development is the lifetime lifeline of every single team that exists in the world. And in our context, this is not a football statement. As a matter of fact, this is a statement of faith for the church at large, and it's a statement of faith and belief in Lake Hills Church. Ever since the very beginning, we have believed with everything that we have that player development is the lifeline of our team.
As a matter of fact, if you go back to the very beginning when there were 38 of us meeting in an elementary school cafetorium, we were offering children's ministry specifically to raise up the next generation. Now, at the time, our entire children's ministry consisted of Emily and Joseph Richard. But we were committed to raising up the next generation. We didn't even offer elementary school or much less middle school or high school ministries because we couldn't do them well. But as we grew, those were our first steps in adding next generation ministries. Fast forward to when we were in the high school. We were renting a high school auditorium at Westlake High School and God was doing incredible things. We purchased this piece of property that we now consider our home base of ministry. And the first building that we ever built was not a worship center, wasn't the office. The first building we ever built was the warehouse on the other side of the ravine because our high school and middle school students needed a place to gather and a place that they could call home. This is a part of who we are. But it's even something that is embedded in the fabric of our church structurally. You walked right by this realization as you came in the doors this morning. Some of you don't even realize that you do it every single week. There, there's, as you come in the hallway out there, you'll notice there's a big wall there that you probably see, especially if you go to the restroom on your way in. But you may not have noticed that little plaque there in the corner. That, that little plaque was put in this building when we opened it in January of 2005. And here's what this plaque says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's a lot going on in that verse. There's a lot that we could really dive deep into and focus on this morning. But I want to draw your attention to one phrase in particular. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, what? Throughout all generations. Throughout all generations. Throughout all generations. God is to be glorified in and through his church. This is, this is biblical. This is part of the mandate of the body of Christ. But when the church starts really and truly intentionalizing and getting deliberate about ministry to all generations, things start to get a little bit tricky. Things start to get a little bit sticky. Let me ask you a question this morning. If you are under the age of, let's say, 25, would you please raise your hand right now? Keep your hands up if you would, please. If you're 25 or younger, awesome. Isn't that great? And that's the early service. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you're... It's a little smattering walking up the 18th fairway. Now, if you're over 25, raise your hands. Okay, a few more at 930. That's all right. That's good. Let's give it up for those over 25, shall we? Now, what's interesting is as we grow up, as we mature, our priorities shift and change. We, we begin to listen to music differently, and most of us, you know, we start to turn it down a little bit. 
People say, you know, how do you know when you're getting old? The first time you ever say, that's too loud. That's, that's when you know you're starting to age a little bit. And not just in church. That's just universally true. I know when I get in my kids' cars, I'm like, whoa. First of all, that needs to be country. Second of all, turn it down. <laughs> I'm teasing. But, but we have different tastes, different generations. That, that's, this is universal. It's timeless. I grew up in the 70s. I remember the television show Happy Days. Remember Happy Days? And, and it talked about the 50s and when everything was great in Milwaukee and Mr. and Mrs. C and the Fonz. And, and we look back on that time and our parents look back on that time nostalgically for, for the music of Elvis. And they, they thought about, you know, uh, who was it? Blueberry Hill, Fats Domino before my time. And they talked about, it. and then in our generation, this this music was born called rap and hip hop. And I remember my mom going, "What in the world is that?" I said, "Mom, that's our jam, man. This this is just part of it." But in the church, in the church, we have to make a concerted effort to really and truly be intentional and be deliberate about raising up the next generation. You see what happens if we're not really, really careful is that we take one of three different approaches to next generation ministries. And when I say next generation, I'm talking about children. I'm talking about middle school and high school students. And the first approach that you can take is what we would refer to as the babysitter approach. That the church is just going to babysit kids while you and I do real church in here. Now, you have to be around here for about 20 or 30 seconds to know that's not our approach. But that is one approach that's out there. Another approach to next generation ministries is the approach of coddling the next generation. Oh, let's just bring them in and just tell them they're so special. Give them all a ribbon and a trophy for being here. You go, kids. Well, that makes Jesus cry, so we don't do that around here either. So, so there's, there, there's babysitting and there's, there's coddling. And then, then you can just kind of isolate them. And, and you just make them an island unto themselves. And you hire a, a youth pastor who's really kind of the, the baby wrangler, if you will. And as long as there's no problems and nothing bad ever happens, then the church is happy and we go on about our business. Or, or we could actually bring glory to God through all generations. And rather than just babysitting them, we could actually go about the business of equipping them. We, we could really and truly get deliberate about setting them up for a win and equipping them that when they leave high school, whether they go to college or they go straight into the marketplace or the workforce, whatever they do, that they do that with their whole hearts to glorify God and to make a difference in this world. And, and when they leave our friendly confines, the first thing they're doing is saying, where can I find a church and plug into the body of Christ somewhere? I grew up in church, and I grew up in a phenomenal church in Houston, Texas. And I have to tell you, when I graduated high school and I matriculated to the University of Texas at Austin, and you better have your horns up this morning. That's all I got to say. 
<clears throat> but I digress briefly. When I came to Austin, it never crossed my mind to plug into a church. I got to Austin and I church hopped, I shopped, I bopped, I was walking around and I was like, yeah, I'd go over there. You know what, this morning, slept in a little bit, I'm going to go to the church closer to me. And I never found a church home until I started serving in a youth ministry of a local church. Now, that particular local church, the youth ministry was incredible, but it was an island off to itself. We were not integrated into the life of the church. We were isolated. So there's this imperative in the life of every Christ follower to make the church, the body of Christ, a priority in your life, to commit to a local body. We've talked about it throughout this series. I don't need to belabor the point, but in this moment, as we think about the next generation, we're not going to isolate them. We're not going to set them off on an island and just kind of keep them quiet over there so that they don't bother us in big church. Rather than isolating the next generation, our calling as a church from God himself is to integrate our students, to integrate our children into the life, into the fabric that is Lake Hills Church. And to, to do this very, very deliberately and for all of us to partner in that. Now, let me just take just a moment. Some of you are thinking right now, I am not putting on a red shirt. I am not putting on one of those LHC kids shirts. I will not change diapers on Sunday. I do it all week long. That's cool. But I promise you, you have a role to play in glorifying Christ in and through the church, through all generations. I believe with everything I have, we are stronger and healthier as a church because our students are integrated into the life of our church. Thank you all for being who you are and doing what you do. We're better for it. I'm going to tell you something. I, for 18 years, I've been going to church here. That's when we started. I have never enjoyed it more. I've never had more fun than I'm having right now. And this is just a selfish moment. I'm just telling you, keeping it real. I've never had more fun than I'm having right now, particularly because of the life of our student ministry under the leadership of Pastor Dan Underhill. I'm telling you, man. Dan. <clears throat> Dan is a leader of leaders. He is not a kid coddler. He's not a student wrangler. He is somebody who leads kids, who calls them out and lifts them up. I look at our children's ministry under the leadership of Pastor Jack Bailey. Unbelievable. And the life that God's breathed into those ministries and through that breathed into the life of our church. Let's be honest, Sunday morning is more fun now than it has ever been. Thank you so much. <laughs> Here's who we are. Here's what we do. We are a church of all generations committed to reaching the next generation. We're a church of all generations. There, there's, there are folks here 
older than me. I know, scary, isn't it? You should have heard this gasp down here front. And we celebrate that. We celebrate the age. We celebrate the experience. We celebrate the wisdom that you bring to us. We need you. And we are committed as a church family to reaching the next generation, to equipping them, to raising them up for the purposes of sending them out. This is who we are. This is what we do as a church family. Go back with me to the parent-child dedication and the back-to-school blessing that we had just a few weeks ago. As a church, we declared and we kind of stuck our, our, our flag in the ground and said, this is who we are. This is a hill that we'll die on. As a church, we will partner with parents to raise up the next generation. That's who we are. We're not here to parent your kids, but we will absolutely partner with you as you seek to rear them and grow them up. But what does the Bible say in Proverbs 22? In Proverbs 22, 6, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. And as a parent, we understand that's our responsibility, to train them up. But I want you to notice what the Bible says. Train up a child in the way, check this out, he should go. Tell your neighbor right now, they should go. They should, you need to say that with a little more passion and conviction, okay? As a brand new empty nester, let me just encourage you. They should go. Say that again. They should go. They, they should go. I got a phone call from our daughter Emily in Charleston, South Carolina, where she's in college this week. She was horrified, near tears, because she discovered much to her shock and chagrin that she actually is going to graduate a semester earlier than she had originally thought. And she is shocked and chagrined because she knows when she graduates. She doesn't know where she's going to go. She doesn't know what she's going to do. But she does know where she's not going to go. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it. She knows. And I've explained, I say, Emily, let me, let me, let me, as Ricky Ricardo used to say, let me explain something to you. <laughs> you don't begin searching for a job after you graduate. It's not like you walk across the stage, you get your sheepskin, and then you come home and go, okay, now I'm going to start looking for, no, 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 princess, no, 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 no. You start looking for a job before you graduate, because when you graduate, you're buying your own food. Now, we'll probably have a celebratory meal that day. <laughs> and I'll pick up the tab. But we as parents, as a church, are to train up children in the way they should go. To live the lives God has created them to live. And so as a church, like parents... We have a very, very, very small window. And so we've got to be serious about it. We've got to be deliberate about it. 
That means that you and I who are older, who are further along in our faith, further along in our lives, have got to understand that when we gather together on the weekend, this is much this is as much about the next generation, if not more, than it's about us. And for those who are truly mature, for those who are truly deliberate about being a part of that, we're going to celebrate it. Can I tell you a secret? And, and this is, this, our, our, everybody on our staff knows this. There are days we do music on our stage that I'm not crazy about. There are times when, when we like, man, I don't know about that song. And they're like, Mac, the kids love it. I'm like, all right, knock yourself out. I will do that. And when you think about it, to worship God in spirit and in truth as Jesus commands, as Jesus calls us to, is really just about our own heart. It's not about the music. It's not about the style. It's about our own heart. And so when we encounter something that is different than what we're used to or what we expected, we just flip our minds and go, that's right. We're a church of all generations committed to reaching the next generation. And so we integrate students into everything that we do. We integrate ministry into everything that we do as a church. In January of 2014, a friend of mine was hosting an event here in Austin. It was a CrossFit event called The Fittest Games. And I had never been to a CrossFit competition. I know, hard to believe, but true. And <clears throat> I thought, I'm going to just go check this thing out. It was on a weekend, and weekends are kind of work days for me. So I went down there early on Saturday morning. And on this particular Saturday morning in January, it was frigid, 19 degrees. I got downtown about 8.15, 8.20 in the morning found a parking spot, made my way to the event site, and there were hundreds of people already gathered. Tens of athletes already competing. People walking around, I mean, just jacked. And they were the spectators. I learned more about the church that day than I did in four years of seminary. And there was one event in particular that I remember vividly. And, and it was a men's event. <clears throat> and the men had a workout that they had to accomplish. And it was absolutely breathtaking. When they announced it, I just started laughing. <laughs> Here's what it was. 50 jump ropes with a heavy rope, unbroken, you can't stop, to be followed immediately by 40 pull-ups, unbroken, you can't stop. If you come off of the bar, you have to start over at Cerro. 30 thrusters with dumbbells, thrusters just one of these little puppies, 30 unbroken with 50-pound dumbbells in each hand. 20 toes to bar. You're hanging from a bar and you bring your toes up. I'm not going to display now, but you bring your toes and touch the bar. 20 unbroken to be followed by 10 dual ground to overheads with the same 50 pound dumbbells you used on the thrusters. It was unbelievable. 
And these big, you know, I mean, these big hulking mass. I mean, they walked out there, 19 degrees, no shirt on. It's impressive. I don't care who you are. <laughs> and they start, and they're jumping. That rope took forever to get around. 50 of them. But it was on the 40 unbroken pull-ups that most guys had the most trouble. I want to challenge most of us. Try to do five pull-ups in a day. <laughs> These guys are doing 40 unbroken before moving on. And, and there were a few of them, you know, I mean, beast mode. And there was one guy that couldn't get the 40 unbroken pull-ups. And, and three or four of the guys who were in the competition went all the way through their workout and finished it. And this guy was still, he'd get to like 28, 29 pull-ups. And his grip would give out and he'd fall off the bar. And he'd go, darn. And, and, or something to that effect. <clears throat> but here's what I loved. Here's what, here's, here's, here's what preached. When those guys finished their workout... They, they were further along than he was. All of them gathered around him at the pull-up bars like, man, stay on the bar. Come on, don't let go. 30, 31, 33. I mean, it's just like, oh. It was like, it was like somebody had missed a game-tying field goal on the last play of the game. It was gut-wrenching, but he finished, and the entire spectating and participating crowd erupted when he finished. I believe that's the picture of the church God wants us to be. That we come alongside the next generation and we tell them, don't let go of the bar. Stay on the bar. Keep fighting the good fight. It is worth it. I think more high school students give up the fight of faith because they don't understand yet that it's worth it. You need to know it's worth it. And you also need to know this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, you are worth it. With everything I have, you are worth it. And that's our promise to you as a church. We will gather around you. We will hold you up and lift you up to get back on the bar when you feel like dropping off of it. This is who we are. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our choice. We can lose the next generation to the world or we can turn them loose on the world. We choose the latter. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, I want to make sure that as a church we understand. The church is committed to the next generation, but we are not built on the next generation. We are built on the person of Jesus Christ.
The Bible says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, and through all generations. It's about Jesus. If you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Christ, I wonder if this may be that moment. For Jesus' game plan to become your game plan. If you're here today and you've never responded to his grace initiative, why not right now? Why not just right where you're sitting? Just silently respond. Just in a prayer of commitment. Just say, Jesus, just silently right where you're sitting, just talk to him. Just say, Jesus, I'm yours. Everything I have, everything I am, Jesus, I confess my sin to you completely, holding nothing back. You know it all. But I do that to claim your forgiveness. All of it. Jesus, all of it. live life in relationship with you from this moment forward forever I want to ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer for a moment because when God's moving that's sacred ground wherever it is And if you just prayed to step into that relationship with Christ, then you need to make sure that you understand this is the most important, most significant moment of your life. And a couple of things need to happen. Number one, you need to mark this moment. Because I promise you there will come another moment at a later day when you wonder if that was real, if it really took. And so I want to ask you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you would quietly but definitively, with no reservation, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for just a moment. Because this is your moment. And I want to ask you to hold your hand up for just a second because the second thing that needs to happen is you need to let somebody know a relationship with Christ is personal and it's individual, but it's never something that happens in a vacuum. And Jesus, in his love and his grace, has provided the church to be a family of faith for you. And so as you mark this moment, in just a minute, we're going to ask you just to fill out the connect card that's in the program that you already have. 
And before you leave today, hand that to somebody who's an usher or looks like they know what's going on and make a personal, brief connection. And on that card, just say, I'm committing my life to Christ today. Because we want to be that family of faith for you. We want to offer ourselves to you. Imperfect as we are, we want to be a safe place for you. For those of you whose hands are up, you may not know that the Bible says all of heaven celebrates when one person comes to faith. Isn't that incredible? Well, if all of heaven does, kind of makes sense that Jesus' church ought to celebrate that too. So we like to put our hands together while you put your hands down and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.